How's it going, everyone? You're listening to the West Coast Bible Teacher, the show where we are teaching the Word of God, one podcast at a time. I hope and pray that everyone's having a wonderful summertime, and it's amazing that we're already halfway through the summertime. Uh, time is going by incredibly quick, um, but I'll go ahead and update you guys and fill you in on how I'm doing, and uh, I'll just say that right now, I'm doing well. It's been a good summer so far. On um, the last podcast that I uploaded a month ago, I shared with you guys that I was uh, dealing with a few difficult issues, particularly relating to ministry. Uh, however, God already, one month ago, started to come in and uh, work certain things out for me. And now we're deep into the summertime, and things right now are going wonderful in my life and in my ministry. Sometimes when you're in a difficult situation, you simply need to cast all your cares and burdens upon the Lord because He cares for you. And then you need to simply move on and wait on Him and trust that He will indeed work things out. Well, that's what I did over the past month, and the Lord has indeed worked things out that were challenging for me. And so right now, I'm still working in full-time ministry. I'm involved right now in uh, three ministries at the church I'm employed at, and it's a joy. And uh, today I actually want to share with all of you uh, a teaching that I recently did at my church on a Sunday morning, uh, at our Sunday morning uh, Sunday school. Um, it's not the full teaching, but rather it's a portion of the teaching that I figured I'd be able to transform into a full podcast teaching for you guys to enjoy. But I think that it's a very fascinating and very much an overlooked subject, which is that of the main purpose for why God has given us His grace. Why did God enact His plan of redemption in the first place? What is His end goal? Is there indeed an end goal? We often both overlook and uh, misunderstand the significance and purpose of God's grace. Some have called it grace abuse, when an individual sees the grace of God as a license to sin. We do not have a license to sin, and such who articulate things that way are misinformed, and they need to examine Romans chapter 6 and quite frankly, uh, many other passages of the New Testament. They need to be reading through 1 John, the epistles of Peter, the, leaven, the, the letters to the seven churches in Revelation, you name it. But today, we're actually going to be visiting quite a number of passages throughout the Bible. But we're going to start in Romans 6, at verse 15. Paul has been speaking within the first half of Romans 6 about how an incredible thing has taken place when the believer went through regeneration. They were baptized into the death of Christ, and then they were raised up with him, to where just as Christ overcame death and sin, we too have conquered the power and dominion of sin in our own lives. Sin no longer has a grip over us, in that we're no longer the old man, who was born into a dead spiritual state that leads to eternal death. Sin's power, which leads one to eternal death, 
has been broken in our lives, and therefore we are to live as if it has indeed been broken in our lives, which it has. We're to live holy and righteously unto God. In verse 1 of Romans 6, Paul the Apostle said, What shall we say then? Shall we overcome, you know, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And then he quickly says, Absolutely not, by no means. How can we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now, at the start of verse 15 of Romans 6, Paul asks a similar question, almost the same question, but he is looking at it now from a little bit of a different angle. He draws the attention to the subject of the law and the contrast between being under grace and being under the Mosaic law. Until the time that Jesus walked the earth, the Jewish race was still under the binds of the law of Moses. But after Christ's death and resurrection, those binds were loosed, and they were then under the realm of grace. Paul says then in verse 15, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. If we are no longer under the power of the law, then why follow the law? Those who ask such a question have failed to grasp the purpose of God's grace. There are many Christians today who are sinning willfully, without any intention to change, because, well, hey, you know, God has given me his grace, right? I'm under grace, and nothing can take that away from me. Those who think this way have failed to realize the totality of why God has given us his grace. Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Then at the beginning of the first epistle of Peter, the apostle Peter, he starts out writing, To God's elect, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. And then, going back to Romans chapter 6, in verse 4 of Romans 6, Paul wrote, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Notice the language that the apostle is using here. We were buried with the Lord through baptism into death in order that we too may live a new life. We went through regeneration in order that we might live a life that is new and fresh. One Bible teacher writes that the new life that Paul's writing of here connotes that of freshness a quality of something that makes it unlike anything else of its type. Now, notice that Paul doesn't say here that 
we were buried with him through baptism into death in order that our sins are forgiven and we get to go to heaven. Paul's not saying that here. Now, that is one reason as to why God saved us. But it's not the only reason as we see here. And furthermore, it's not even the overall reason when you're looking at things from the broad perspective of God's purposes for humankind. We got to go back to the Garden of Eden in order for us to fully understand this. Within Genesis chapter 1, looking at verses 26 through 28, we read, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, and over every creature that moves on the ground. Okay. Twice, or I guess you could say three times here in this passage, God affirms that mankind was to be made in what the text describes as his own image. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? Have you asked yourself that? It is no doubt a question that theologians have wrestled with, and they've offered various opinions on the matter. There are perhaps multiple definitions that would fit the bill. But I can't think of a better person to shed light on this for us than Wayne Grudem, famous theologian who authored the monumental work Systematic Theology. And within Systematic Theology... Dr. Grudem defines being made in God's image. He says it means that man is like God and represents God. Like God in that we share in some of the attributes of God, right? You know, we have the ability to love. We have the ability, uh, you know, to think, to communicate with each other. And then, of course, we were placed here as God's representatives, God created mankind to serve him, to give him glory, and to represent him on this earth. And he originally created humanity and the world in a perfect state. God's purpose for us was to serve him and glorify him without there being any qualms or obstacles in the way. But Satan, in his rebellion against God, and in his wanting to disrupt God's dominion of the earth, planned a way to corrupt God's representatives on earth. One day, as us students of Scripture know, God will be bringing both humanity and earth back to the state that he originally intended it to be in. When God created Adam and Eve, they emanated his glory. They were perfect, sinless representatives on earth. But after the fall, all human beings fall short of what? The glory of God. Some commentators translate it, they lack the glory of God. 
This is, of course, from Romans 3.23. But almost all Bible students agree that when Paul uses the phrase, the glory of God, the, the apostle intends to hearken back to the sinless state that Adam and Eve were in prior to the fall. You see, we are still in the image of God right now, but not in its total and perfect state as it was prior to the fall. It is God's purpose and intention, then, to bring us back to the state we were in prior to the fall. I'll say that again. It is God's purpose and intention for us to bring us back to the state we were in prior to the fall. And that is why He's given us His grace. God loves us and wants for us to serve Him to the fullest extent as it was intended prior to the fall. And that's why God's given us a second chance. The second chance is manifested in His grace. And God is offering every human being His grace so that they have the opportunity to return to the perfect state that God intended us to be in prior to the fall. Now that won't happen until the very end when we enter into His presence and furthermore, when he establishes the new heaven and the new earth. But those who have received God's grace have started the journey towards getting back that which was lost prior to the fall of Adam and Eve. And thus Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into this image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being transformed into His image. Listen to that. Right now, as believers, we are in the phase of transformation. This involves sanctification. This involves righteousness. This involves living a holy life as God's doing a work in us. And the end result, when our sanctification reaches its culmination, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15.49, And just as we bear the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. We're on a journey right now, and that is our destination. And so in 1 John 3, 2-3, the apostle writes, Dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And listen to what he says here. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Right now, you need to start purifying yourself if you haven't already. Because that is the destination that God will lead you to one day. Complete and final purification, as you will be conformed to the image of His Son. The purification process starts now, and it eventually will end with true and final purification. 
So God's given us His grace, a second chance, so that we can start the journey that leads back to the holy and perfect state that God intended us to be in. So I'll ask all of you the same question now that Paul asks us here in Romans 6.15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? The answer is no. The law was given to us after we fell short of the glory of God. And the purpose of the law was to remind us of our need to get back to God's glory. And the way we get back to God's glory is through His grace. His grace is simply the key to open the gate that starts the path of sanctification, purification, and transformation as we are being slowly but surely conformed to the image of His Son, which will one day reach its full and final culmination. All of you have started this journey, the journey that will lead you to one day be like Him, as you see Him as He is. Or in other words, we're all on the journey that will bring things back to the way things were supposed to be from the very beginning of time. We started out in the Garden of Eden. We lost our way. But don't worry, folks. We're headed back to the Garden of Eden, to the way things were supposed to be, the way things were back in the beginning. And if we keep this truth in mind, I believe that such will compel us to walk more and more in holiness and in purity day by day. So this has been the West Coast Bible Teacher, everyone. And until next time, God bless you and keep walking in Him.